And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz with Mike Miller and Natty P. And this is episode number 472. It's 472. We are beginning a new series this uh, week, starting off a whole new series. Uh, we're going to be going through the epistles of John and starting in 2 John. Uh, and so uh, really looking forward to this series. Uh, let's see how these other guys are doing and what they're thinking about this series as well. Mike, what's up, brother? Yeah, new series. Maybe we'll finish it. Maybe we won't. Who knows? There's excitement there. A little uncertainty. You know, maybe it'll go like Proverbs. Maybe it won't. No, we will finish Proverbs. We will finish the 1689. Let's not put doubt in the minds of our our, our few faithful um, listeners. Uh, we will get back to those series for sure. Um, this one is going to finish because it's going all the way through. We're not really taking a break unless some unfortunate, unnecessary something happens. Or in the something world. important that we want to talk about yeah, comes supersedes up, we may... like impassibility. Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah. So what about you, uh, Nathaniel? Uh, you know, the sun came out today and I was going to go outside and try and try and be less white, but uh, it was a little cold. So uh, still dealing with the, the tan that I have from Florida. That, that's, that's how I'm doing. Still nice. white as a bone. Okay, I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, just help. drink some Coca-Cola, man. Um, all right, that'll help. So anyways, uh, this is a, a show we're going to be doing here on Second John. Uh, the title of this program, uh, which you can no longer see because we're working on some things here with the platform and, and changing some things up. And so uh, you don't see a title up there. But watch your doctrine and walk in God's commandments. This is lessons from Second John tonight. That's what we're going to be going through. And uh, this is just a great book. It's a small, small book. I think the shortest chapter in the entire Bible, I believe. And uh, this is, um, there's a lot in it that hopefully we're going to be able to talk about and get into here tonight, right? Yeah, maybe we'll finish it without rushing small book yeah doubt it no not gonna happen um yeah second john um kind of what sparked it i i taught sunday school this last week on verses 9 through 11 and so we've been going through it in my sunday school and why not you know make it do double time so pretty exciting just to and just like it is, it's a good book. If, you know, scholars are right that this is possibly a cover letter to first John. Um, there's just a lot of good, concise themes that John kind of teases out in first John. So it's good to, to kind of stop and to think and to read and try to figure out who this elect lady is that just, happens to show up in verse one. Yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump right into this? Because uh, as we all know, and Mike's already alluded to, time slips pretty fast once we get going into uh, our topics. So uh, Mike, go ahead and lead us. Uh, we're not going to read the entire chapter at this point, but we're going to break it down by sections. And Mike's going to lead us through that. And then we're going to talk about it. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So the second letter of John, 
written by John the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes, The elder of the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who love the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from the fa- God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So, start out. Of the elder. So, the first question is, who actually wrote the letter? We have no indication on it. Neither does first john and the primary reason why we think john wrote it is because he wrote a gospel with very similar themes very similar language very similar style but even then if we go to the gospel of john we have to argue did john actually write the gospel of john the only person we know is to love the disciple whom jesus loved the beloved disciple is kind of the only reference to it Uh, In this case, then we go to church history, which helps fills us out that this is indeed John, uh, the apostle, and probably writing all of these in a very similar time frame, most likely depend on the scholar towards the in the 60s. Some may even say later, um, depends some even how you date Revelation. Um, if is that a 90 or is that closer into the 60s? Um, it plays in it, but for now, John wrote this letter inspired by the spirit and he writes it to an elect lady, which also no little ink has been spilled on this. I'm trying to figure out who this elect lady is, and that's still a debate today. Yeah. Um, one thing to, to say about it is it really doesn't matter all too much, an interpretation. Um, but yeah, it is a, not hotly contested, but it is kind of a contested view. Even out through, throughout church history, you have um, two views kind of floating around as, is this an actual lady or is this the church and her children? Again, the text really doesn't, help us decide it's just kind of too vague which may be intentional i I try to argue this in sunday school class on a whim it might be john just being intentional that way yeah definitely um my initial reading uh i know that i'm glad to find out that it's not a uh an errant or an aberrant opinion uh my initial reading uh looking through the uh lexicon because i don't read greek yet but uh curia uh the chosen lady uh is uh obviously has the same word group as curias from which uh also curiacius i don't know doing some etymology it's where we get our word church from so that was my opinion that it's the church and her children um that that was my initial thinking. Yeah, that's pretty much where where I'm kind of leaning more to. Um, again, I don't think it's going to matter whether it's an actual lady or if you're thinking it's the church in the reading of the text. But this is this does apply. John is writing to a specific 
person or to a church. And, and those, the things that he is saying in this book still apply to us today. We, we can take these principles and we can utilize them. And so I think it either way, wherever you come down on that, whether it's an actual individual lady that he's writing to, or it's a reference to the church. And I take that view myself because um, as it's writing, when it gets to verse 13, it says that the children of your elect sister greet you. And we know that the church is referred to at times as, as a she, so that this, the sister churches and, and so that's why I take that view. But again, I don't think it's going to change what we read inside of it, whether it's to a church or to a specific individual. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, it's key. And I think that's what helps, which maybe is why we can say kind of in the end, does it matter? Well, it's something we should obviously try to study there's a point which getting too far deep leads it out because you could either agree with what you two have presented is that this is the church and it has been the common view throughout church history, or you can go against Athen or you can believe with Athanasius and say it's to elect lady or Matthew Henry, you know, there's just mm-hmm. come some random people there, yeah. uh, you know, not so random um, Geneva Bible yeah. also says it's a, it's a lady. So, you know, you can, um, and obviously being facetious with those names. Um, and, and there's just evidence on both sides. Cause you could look at verse 13, but then how does that work with verse 11 when they said, don't receive it as your house. Now we'll talk about it. I think, yeah, I think, we could get uh, you know, there's how, how we look at it. Um, you know, so you do have some of these ideas and, um, to work through it. So yeah, and all of that to say, um, it really doesn't matter. I do hold, I do think, I'm swayed at this point to think that it is the church. Um, some of the language has it, um, but consistently well, Mike, he... Yeah. Let me ask you because you you you've been to seminary, you've got your your doctor or degree, right? So. Um, w- could it be, do we see this in other, like we see in the scripture in Revelation, in prophetic language, uh-huh. things that are mentioned from the Old Testament. Could this be something where, where you said it's, it's, it's being um, kind of vague or, or, or ambiguous out there with this? Could it be of a concealing, not wanting to let people know what he's necessarily referring to? So it, it could be the church in this sense. Um is that something that maybe has been an argument for that position of just trying yeah. to kind of like conceal it. So whoever gets hold of this is not really. So you can have some of that, some of the, um, some other ways is that John doesn't hesitate to mention people. So we see in third John, he calls out someone for not being hospitable. So John doesn't have a problem using names. Mm. So the question is now, why did he not? use the name. Um, I do think if we think even through the gospel of John and kind of, as I was thinking through this, this is not any scholarly, um, I get opinion, just kind of thinking through this, John does like to use, uh, some of those types of metaphors. So we think of when Nicodemus comes, John explicitly tells us that Nicodemus came at night. Now, I think John is saying this not only physically that it was nighttime when Nicodemus came to Jesus, but he's 
John's already played up that Jesus is the light of the world. And I think he's also in telling us he came at night, emphasizing that it just wasn't night time, but he came from what was dark into the light. He came from a spiritual darkness into the spiritual light, standing with Jesus. Again, John does this. So is this John, again, being kind of vague and trying to maybe play both of those um, those lines? Like, is it to a, not only a lady and her children, but a, this, does this lady have a church in her home? Is she like Lydia? And is this kind of then with this dual nature um, type of idea? The analogy doesn't work perfectly because of kind of the physical, spiritual sense. But I do think, I mean, John kind of does this. He wrote, I mean, he wrote Revelation. So, right. um, so yeah, I think it's something to consider. I don't know if evidence would back me up on that yeah. um, or if a lot of people would you know, agree. But it does seem, at least in my preliminary study of John, somewhat plausible. It is definitely fascinating, but we, again, we want you to look at these things and try to um, examine them and, and, you know, see where you land on them. But at the same time, I mean, we spent, I don't know, 10 minutes on this one already, but like, <laughs> this is not going to change your doctrine. So um, it's important. Yeah. We want, we want to try to, this is why we're trying to dig through this book. You want to try to understand what is being conveyed so that we can then apply that to our lives and walk in a, in a, a manner that is, uh, glorifying the Lord in each in, in our everyday life. I think when we get into, you know, the second part of this um, verse here where it says, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. I think that's very, it's very telling and fascinating because as believers, how often have we got together with someone then we find out they're a believer and they're like-minded in their beliefs. They're not a heretic. They're not believing Jehovah witnesses or Mormon doctrine. They're believing sound biblical truth. They're believing the gospel, you know, that saves and you're just overjoyed. You're, you're excited to, you know, get to, to converse with this person. There should be that joy of those who are in the truth. This is love for those that are in the truth. They're brothers and sisters in Christ and that should just bring us um, comfort. And, and John's saying he loves them, um, but not only him, but all who know the truth. And so that should be something we should be even asking ourselves if we are, if there's maybe an issue inside of ourselves that we're not loving the brethren, mm -hmm. why is that, you know? Yeah, you definitely fleshed that out as uh, one of the assurances of salvation in uh, 1 John which that comes before or after this book, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something definitely, if you, if you don't, don't love other Christians, either, either one of two things is true. Uh, worst case scenario, you're not a Christian. Uh, best case scenario, then you're, you're in some pretty uh, bad sin. You need to root that out for sure. Um, yeah, and so so definitely one thing I noticed uh, throughout these first few verses, I, I can't remember if you read all the way through verse 4, Mike, but uh, the truth. Okay, so including including verse 4, uh, but 
even if we limit it to uh, the, the first three. Truth, truth is mentioned uh, s- several times in this, uh, in this passage. Uh, whom I love in truth, who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us, uh, in truth and love, and walking in the truth. So um, all this is um, based on the truth, and the bond is in the truth. Whom uh, We know that the truth is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so um, as we work, th- work our way through the rest of the book, we see that here introduced is this thematic uh, truth, and and then fleshing out a little bit more through these 13 verses uh, exactly why that's important and, and, and what it is uh, specifically uh, to love in truth. Yeah, I think it's important to think that truth isn't just, I mean, you even just went to verse 6, but even in verse 7, you have those who don't love the truth, right. the heretics. Verse 9 really puts that in perspective because those who have the truth have the Father and Son, and those who do not um, do not have God. Right. How that plays out, and then application verses 10 and 11, and then he you know, finishes up that wanting to talk to them face-to-face and that desire. And so truth really penetrates this entire epistle. It's not just a theme he starts on. You have the importance of kind of truth, those who don't believe, and now how do we react to that? And I think that's a a point to hold on to because even the idea, because the truth that abides in us, mm-hmm. well, this idea of abiding is not is used. I looked this up for my uh, Sunday school lesson. It's used 107 times, and 60 to 70, I want to say is used by John and it becomes very important theologically so much so that the Keswick theology that is part of the holiness movement coming out of um, Wesleyan theology, kind of the idea of let go, let God connects abiding with the second blessing being filled with the Holy spirit. So which the charismatics would later have, with the speaking in tongue language. So it's so important that you have now kind of this heterodoxual view entering the church fairly recently, um, really hanging on to this idea of abiding. Again, John just understanding, but abiding in truth are always kind of connected in John. Yeah. You know, and as, as, you were saying earlier there, um, Nathaniel, about the fact that <clears throat> if we don't have this love, as Mike was saying, this abiding love that's within mm-hmm. us, um, then we really need to ask ourselves why. And as we go into to this next verse here, John says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. And that just that three words there, grace, mercy, and peace, is, you know, it, it will be with us, us believers. If you're not a believer and you're listening to this program right now, you have not received that saving grace of God. You have not received that mercy, that salvific mercy that God does not give us what we actually do deserve. And the only way you can have peace is to come to Jesus Christ. It's the only way you'll have peace with God. 
And so that's why when we are abiding in Christ, as, as what is it in John uh, 15? Is it 15 where it talks about abide? Or am I off? Yeah, John, I mean, John 14, John 15, John 15. 16, it's yeah. all. But we abide that. in him. And, and uh, mm-hmm. when you're in Christ, you receive that grace, that mercy, and peace with God. Yeah, I think it's important to think. Now, Paul usually just says grace and peace. So John adds mercy here. But even grace and peace are very common uh, ways to start letters. Grace would be what the Gentiles would normally start kind of in their blessing uh, in this part. Peace is shalom, comes with the Jewish. uh, So a lot of Jewish letter writers would give peace. Um, But as you said, when the Bible writers start using these terms, they're just not using them flippantly because the culture is using them. Comes with it is this, the theological underpinning that we have grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father, from the Holy spirit, his son and truth and in love. And there's a sense in which the Holy spirit is what binds all of this in love and so you kind of have a Trinitarian statement here that that which um, is connected to love, and we see this with God's spirit, is bringing us all in together. The spirit abides in us. It gives us the truth, and it comes in it. So we see just the rich doctrinal be- beauty that comes here. And which seemingly may not be Trinitarian, but when you consider what the Holy Spirit is and does as it's as a person of, you get this rich unity and see how important the Trinity is within Christian theology. Yeah, extremely important. I think th- this is a huge topic, and I and. I, I should, I'm going to save it as we get down a little bit further, but this is this is very important. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're going to abide in, as it said, the truth, you know, um, you can't just have your own truth. It has to be something that's grounded in God because God is the one who gives us truth, right? Right, yeah, and you, you, in, in order to know what the truth is uh you're you're you need that revelational epistemology or the that that theory of how you know what you know that um theory of knowledge where the truth is outside of you and comes to you and is shown to you and is objective and not dependent on you um and and, and the only way to have that is both by the book of nature uh, of course but even that uh ought to be tested by god's special revelation uh, which is his word given to us, uh, both both through his prophets and apostles, and uh, chiefly uh, through through his son. In these last days, yes. So John continues as now we kind of move into the body of the letter, and he starts off by saying, "I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as you." just as we were commanded by the father. And now I ask you, dear lady, though not as 
though I was writing you a new commandment, but the one that you've heard from the beginning, that we love one another, and that this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you shall walk in it. I think what's important when we kind of see these idea is the connection between truth and kind of orthodoxy and living. That's the the main, that's where I got the title of the show from. Watch your doctrine, which is a command, watch yourself from verse eight and um, live or walk in the commandments of God, which we see here in kind of in verse four through six. And that they aren't separated. That is to be a Christian, you not only know the truth, but you practice the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John is greatly rejoiced in that. Uh, when another teacher was teaching this part, brought that out. John rejoiced that either this woman and her children or this church with its members is walking in the truth. Yeah. And I think sometimes, and I don't know if this is just me, um, I don't always rejoice when I see people walking in the truth. And I think John here helps us to think about that, mm. that we should rejoice even, I think, when we see new Christians not walking the way that they should, we may not rejoice that they're even walking in the truth. Now they need to grow. We need to call out their sins. We need to help them. That's what the church is for. But, I mean, I just kind of thinking through that is – do I rejoice when I see others walking in the truth, no matter how imperfect their walk may be? Yeah. You know what? I, I think that, <clears throat> I think, hold on a second. I think that we, we can become so skeptical or kind of pull back when somebody comes up or we meet somebody, especially doing evangelism on the streets quite often, right? Or doing a lot of evangelism. And somebody comes up and they're telling you, oh, I'm a believer. I believe in Christ, you know, and, and I got saved at this time. And it can be very easy to fall into a category where you are skeptical of everybody you meet that says they're a Christian. And you got to test them. You're like, well, what is the God? What is this? Tell me about this. And you're throwing out these words they probably never even heard before. But you're so skeptical because you've run into so many people that say they're Christians and it turns the other way that they're not. They're not abiding in truth. They're not walking in this way, you know, of, of what the truth would lead them to. And so you, you become skeptical. But as you were saying there, Mike, that kind of convicts us to say, you know, it could be a brand new Christian who doesn't have all these things figured out. You know, there are times when uh, over this last year or so, when I was kind of having an issue at a previous church that I was at, where I told my wife, I said, you know what I miss? I miss the days when I was a brand new Christian. You know, I grew up in a church, but when I really got saved at 32 years old for that first five years or so, I was just learning things and I was just loving those people. And it wasn't all this got to be exactly dotted this way and right here, but it was just, it was love and it was serving and it was joyous. You know what I mean? And you can get so wrapped up in theology is very important. Believe me, we are theologically reformed here, right? So we care about theology, but you get so wrapped into it sometimes where if everybody's not exactly, exactly 
Now, we'll talk more about the gospel a little bit later, but exactly in line with every theological point, it's like we can't rejoice in that. We should still rejoice with our brethren who are holding uh, fast to the truths of the gospel. Yeah, definitely. uh, It's definitely an ugly thing. Like I noticed that a lot at the Super Bowl. Uh, There was a lot of Christians who'd walk by that didn't have much time for Jesus. And one of the things I always pointed out to them or attempted to as they passed by, if I could get a word in, was this new, this old commandment that John's talking about is the new commandment Jesus gave in uh, f- f- John 15, I think, 35 or thereabouts. Same uh, area. Uh, I, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. So um, that's like uh, one, one of the ways that you can tell that someone that you don't need to be as suspect as if they're really excited to see you out. Uh, then, then maybe, maybe you can let your guard down a little bit. Um, another thing I thought about, uh, was, uh, Mike talking about, uh, the new believer and everything. You, you talked about it too, Ricky and the imperfect walk. I got a, a friend who I met uh, several months ago who was actually an unbeliever at the time, and now he's a, a believer. And, and I'll tell you, this, um, this young man is not, he's not theologically astute by any stretch, but sometimes he'll just say just the neatest things. And, and it's just so exciting just to see what God gives him that's so simple and yet so profound that I want to steal, steal his, uh, his quote, quotation and, and just use it for myself because it's, it's so good and it's just so joyful. Uh, when you see a new believer that, that loves Jesus and is excited to be a Christian. Um, so I, I guess I, what I'm driving at is my translation is not big on joy because it says he was very glad, but I like Mike's better to rejoice to find some someone walking in the truth. This is really exciting. Yeah. And when you think about kind of this idea of truth, um, you know, he's rejo- rejoicing is walking in the truth just as we we're commanded by the father. Um, but, you know, it's not a new one and you have, we've alluded. So John 14, through 16, the three chapters there, really is kind of where John lays this on. You have this re- continual going from the whole, talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus telling us he's the way, the truth, and life in verse 14, verse 6. The imagery of the vine in chapter 15, moving into more information about the coming helper and comforter and what's happening. And in this, you have here in chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. And if he is the one who in the beginning was the word and he was with God and he was God and that he came in flesh full of grace and truth, this really makes us kind of make that dividing line and that those who love God does the commands of Jesus. He obeys the commands of God. 
and this. And this is um, important because you see in uh, Peter, Paul talks about this. False teachers don't don't obey God. They either um, reduce his commands or they add more. Those are kind of your two options, and they do those. And so for us to think about what is truth and how to be obedient to it, you know, John is really, and obviously he'll, this becomes a major theme in first John, you know, if we claim to be in him, we will walk as he will walk either first John two, six or two, nine, one of those two. So do you want any more comments on this section? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely walking as is Jesus walked and, um, in, in, in keeping the commandments, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. I really like the way it's put here in verse uh, six, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Um, a lot of time, I mean, it, in our culture, it's definition, definitional that love is anything that the, the society puts forth that, that week of what, what is loving and what's not. It, it, it could be some, something out there. Those who do not abide in the truth coming up with their own definitions of love, whether it's allowing a, a, a man to dress up as a lady and beat up other uh, females in the UFC or whether it's uh, two, two fellows uh, pretending to be married, whatever the love is that week. Or it could be something um, like you're saying, um, it's not just uh, fa- false teachers. Like a lot of times there'll be Christians who will um, default to the summary of the second table of the law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And they'll label all sorts of things as, oh, you're not you're not being loving, loving to your neighbor. If you don't do that, if you don't wear this, if you're not yada, yada, yada. And so so th- this is very, very key. Um that the way that we know how to love both God and our neighbor is through the commandments is how we define love so that we know what it looks like. Even, even the scripture as it's um, the commandments as they're put forth um, in, in a passage like first Corinthians 13, where it fleshes love out of you even more through, through, through its definition there. So, um, Definitely, I think this is a very important thing to note that love isn't whatever we want it to be or whatever feels right. It's tested, like like we said earlier on the broadcast, according to God's commandments. So, and kind of moving on in walking in love and in truth, we see kind of the reason for it because he goes for. Many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for and that you may win a full reward. And this one, we really don't know what heresy is going on exactly. Um, there's a couple theories but what we do know is they're denying the coming of the flesh of Jesus. And we can do an entire show just on the implications 
of denying that Jesus came in the flesh. But to survive, Paul helps us. Our salvation's in vain. If Jesus doesn't come in the flesh, our salvation is in vain. Because there's no resurrection. God's promises haven't been fulfilled. And we are still longing for a savior. And so the importance of denying Jesus in the flesh, and this is just what Paul's dealing with. The early church for the first 400 years have to deal with this understanding. The Donatists believe this, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. The Arians believe that Jesus wasn't fully God and denied. And we see this worked out in the Nicene Creed and the fact that they spend two parts of the creed speaking specifically to his divinity and then to his humanity and saying you got to affirm both. The Chalcedon uh, controversy, again, fleshes this out. How does this person, Jesus Christ, both be God and man? Does he have one will? Does he have two wills? Or there is a blend? There is a lot that can be discussed and can make us heretics quickly if we don't understand just some of the importance Christological here and should be noted. I mean, those who deny Jesus came in the flesh, they're a deceiver who we know John connects to Satan, and they're the Antichrist. They're against Christ. And that puts you on some shaky ground yeah. if you're going to affirm those position, that a position of denying Christ. You know, and I think that we need to to let people know too that that when when when, when we talk about coming in the flesh, um, denying that he's come in the flesh, the incarnation. We don't just, I don't, I don't think he's just meaning, uh, I don't believe he's just meaning, oh, Jesus was born of a virgin. He came, you know, took on flesh as a baby. Because as you already mentioned, when Paul's writing this, he says, if, if Christ doesn't come, if there's no resurrection, our faith is in vain. It encompasses the entirety of the life of Christ that he was completely obedient to the father fulfilling all yeah. of the law that he he gave himself up to to die on that cross you know who he fully is as you mentioned mike you know the, the two natures of christ uh if we don't get that this is why this is so vitally important what john is writing here I almost said paul but what john is writing here um because look at what we see in the world today I've been I've been kind of looking a little bit more at and we've interacted with some progressive Jim Thornton in the past, Keith Giles and guys like that. But I've been looking into some more of the progressive thinking and it's it's this false idea of love is like what uh, Nathaniel was talking about this this uh -huh. idea that God is just love and he's accepting and everything's going to work out. If we don't have this correct, your idea of love is not going to get you anywhere but an eternity in God's judgment. And so it's vitally important that we understand this because as he says, there are many deceivers that are in this world. There's many deceivers that have gone out. Um, he says in verse eight, watch yourselves so that you may not get my place here. Lose. Yeah. Lose what we have worked for. 
but may win a full reward. And I think we need to talk about that too, because what John is not saying is we're working for salvation. You guys want to jump on that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a... Go Nathaniel. I guess, I guess what, what we see in scripture are real, real warning, real warnings that are really true. Uh, that if you lose sight of this, you will, uh, you will lose what, what was worked for you. So, so we know in, in the other side, uh, of our mind or the back of our mind, we keep in mind that those who are kept by God will persevere, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a real warning that if anybody departs from this teaching, if they follow after the deceiver, if they deny who Jesus is and what he did, if they stray from that teaching, they will go go to hell. And we know that no no elect person will be finally lost. Um, we know that in the back of our mind, but we also know that this is a real warning. If you stray from the teaching, the truth that we talked about in the first half of this book, is this is a serious serious thing. So um, that's why it says, watch yourself. Paul says elsewhere, test yourself to see whether you're in in the faith. Work out your salvation. And we know that in the same paragraph where Paul says, work out your salvation, he says, it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work. But this is a real warning. If anyone strays, they will eternally be lost. Yeah. And the language here is used kind of in, like racing, like a racing metaphor. Paul uses this kind of language too. Right. And that to watch ourselves is, and as you're saying, to be perseverance, to not lose sight of the end goal. Like a runner who's trying to win the prize, to win the reward, to cross the finish line, doesn't lose sight to what they're doing. And in a sense, lose kind of everything that led up to it if they were to not make it. And so the the commands to watch yourself, like you said, uh, Philippians 2, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, the ideas of kind of why we need to understand salvation more than just justification, that salvation is a process in which occurs in three stages that when Christ redeems a person, he justifies them before the Lord and that the commands then here are not to win our justification. We have been justified that the commands now draw us to become more conformed to the image of his son, to become more holy, to become more like we're supposed to be. And, and he does it through the power of his spirit as he works in us until we either die or he comes again and we are glorified and renewed bodies sitting before the judgment throne, realizing not I, but Christ who's in me that saved me. And so to watch yourself is for the here and now to ensure we do not stray to the left or to the right, that we keep pursuing the upward calling of knowing Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. Some, something else that I didn't want to get lost either is is that in giving this the stern warning that that, that that we just gave, I don't want someone to think that you can't have assurance as you watch uh-huh. yourself and as you run the race. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, viewer, I would commend our episode. I believe we did assurance of salvation from the London Baptist Confession. Uh, I think here too, even for those who are redeemed elect uh, Christians, um, if you avert your eyes, if you stray stray here or there, your assurance is going to be weakened as well. So even if you do finally reach the end, during that time that you've strayed from the teaching, your assurance and your your felt um, assurance that, that God loves you, that you have peace with God, that you know Christ, that you have joy in the Holy Ghost, that your grace is increasing, that assurance is going to be weakened if you if you ne- neglect the, the means of the assurance. Um, so I, th- I think that is something worth noting here as well. Yeah. Did you include verse 9? I did not. Okay, let's let's move on to uh, the next section. You want to get on? Yeah, I see it in your eyes. So, um, verse nine: Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greetings. For whoever greets him takes part of his in his wicked works. What do you got for us in verse nine? Well, see it. It was just what, what Nathaniel was saying there, and we've already been talking about this abiding in Christ. And and as we're saying, look at your assurance, right? Uh, in verse nine, it says, "Everyone who gives who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ." So, if you want to know, you know, have assurance, one of the ways is: Are you abiding in the teachings of Christ? And we're not talking about just the red letters in your Bible, right? We're talking about the entirety of the Word of God. Um, that that's one of the things that we've we've probably all encountered at some point in our lives where uh, we've interacted with somebody and they say, "Well, the Bible doesn't speak against homosexuality," or they'll say, "Jesus," they'll say, "The Bible don't speak against homosexuality," and you push them on and they'll say, "Well, Jesus doesn't speak against homosexuality." Can you show me in red where Jesus is speaking against these things, right? But you got to understand when we're talking about the teachings of Christ, the entirety, he's the word made flesh, right? So, so the entirety of the word of God, that's kind of what I was looking at there when he was, when Nathaniel was speaking about, uh, you know, assurance, I'm like, that's one way to know, are you abiding in the teachings of Christ? Right. Not denying, not affirming some heresy, T.D. Jakes. And uh, abiding in and being a doer of the word, you know, uh-huh. like, uh, there's a lot of cold, cold Christians out there that may or may not be abiding because they're not doing, they're not doers. And if you know the right thing, it's like, you look up the reformed understanding of faith, but, um, the last, there's a noticia, a census and, uh, fiducia and fiducia is the last step of, that the, the, the reformers looked at, at saving faith. And this is like living your life according to your faith. And, and so that's part of abiding. It's not just, um, do we have our T's crossed? I mean, I could, I could live my life according accordingly and be, uh, 
off on some things. Well, that's, that's the one, that's the one thing that I think is very difficult for us to balance as Christians, because we do need to understand the importance of keeping the commands of, 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 you know, abiding in this teaching of Christ. But at the same time, we have to be careful and cautious that we don't make those commands our checklist of our salvation. That that's this balance because you know, I posted a couple of days back or something about the, you know, if you don't have any works, you may want to check your, this is exactly how I posted it, but you may want to check whether or not you're a believer, but don't right. look to those works. Those works aren't the evidence of your, those works aren't your um, saving faith. It's Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Always look to Christ. Now those evidences of looking to Christ will be producing fruit. But we can we can become very um, legalistic. We can mm-hmm. become very um, we can create idols in our hearts of certain things, you know, in a checklist, and say, "Well, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Therefore, I must be walking with Christ," and completely right. not be walking with Christ. Right. I mean, how many people have we seen who have not been watching themselves, who are not abiding in the teachings of Christ? Ravi Zacharias is one recently. How many others in the past who are going out there saying these things, but they're not living these things out. Right. You know? Yeah. And you see that even in the text. So the idea to go on ahead is to go too far. So they, you know, when we think about these false teachers, it's not that they're just coming in. I mean, in a real sense, in John 2, they were among us and they left. They were with us. And they've gone too far. My pastor in an illustration he used is like, if you have this safe area on a cliff, the false teacher is the one who walks off and over the guardrail and off the cliff Mm. and no longer abiding in this safe zone here, you know, orthodoxy as it is. Mm. And to, to understand, you know, the importance because those who walk off the cliff theologically prove themselves to not have God. They will stand condemned in the final judgment. And it's those who abide in the teaching. And here John doesn't use God. I made this point in my Sunday school uh, when I was teaching Sunday school. John could have easily just said, whoever abides in the teaching has God. That's the opposite. But he doesn't because he. I think he wants to focus on the fact that we have the father and the son, it relates back to even in the John and what Jesus was teaching. If you have the father, you have the son. Mm. We also know that the spirit is also included with this again in that um, on the last night, John 14, 15 and 16, when he's speaking to his disciples, the cross is just ahead. He's about to pray. They're walking out from the, from the final supper to the Mount of Olives, where he's going to pray one last time here on earth and in, in one in a time where he's not captive. And I think it's John is making it important. You can't say I have wrong theology, but I still have God. Mm-hmm. No, either you have them or you don't. And the only way to have them is to abide in the teaching of Christ, which I think John has already developed in that it's not only affirming doctrinal things like his humanity, 
but it's walking in obedience mm-hmm. with it, which makes it all the more important when you start moving into verse 10 and 11, because that is going to be the one thing that these false teachers are going to come with seeking hospitality. Mm-hmm. And how we understand the importance of false teaching really kind of plays into how we understand here verses 10 and 11. Yeah. When this false teacher comes and asks to stay in your house, which I do think applies to us. Yeah. Well, what I don't think, and and maybe you'll agree or disagree with me, is when it says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part. I don't believe this is saying how it's been used by some, that if a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon knocks on your door, don't have a conversation with them. Don't invite them in and have a conversation. I don't believe that it's saying that. I think that um, we want to be gracious and respectful and loving because we want to see these people come to know the Lord. Um, and there may come a time in your conversation with somebody where you have to just say, Hey, look, I'm, I have been giving you the gospel. I'm no longer going to throw, you know, this, this, uh, this gospel before swines and dogs. I'm going to just move on and shake the dust off my feet. There may come a time for that, but I don't think it's intentionally saying that, but I do think it's, it's giving them a platform to come into your home and to influence your fight, your, your family to come into your church and to influence the people in your congregation or into a Bible study and influence the people around you. Um, I was actually, as I was reading this and, uh, I was convicted of it. Um, just recently I was, I interact with a lot of Hebrew Israelites and I was watching one who came on live and I told him there's no sound. You don't have any sound. And I thought about it as I was reading this, I was thinking, I assisted him to turn back his sound on so he can promote his false teaching. You know, I was just trying to interact, but I wasn't, in, I wasn't even thinking about it. And I'm like, I should have let him go. He would have did an hour or whatever and had no sound, you know? And I think it also applies to, you know, building mosques for, you know, like fighting to build mosques for a, a, a Muslims, you know, I don't think we should do that. We shouldn't assist them to promote their false ideologies and their false teachings. Yeah, I think that's the important point. Uh, kind of the principle we can take is the idea is showing hospitality to promote their false teachings, which are wicked works. So I think culturally, when we think about this in their time, the idea of the home, I think, is connected to not only the church, because they would have a lot of house churches. But the very fact that there is a lot of traveling preachers or teachers, they relied on the hospitality of people as patrons to stay alive, Mm -hmm. especially Christian teachers, because inns are not like going to a Holiday Inn. They were full of corruption and licentiousness. And so a Christian teacher isn't going to want to be caught staying at an inn. That's not going to look good. And, and so the idea I think coming here is look, don't give them the opportunity to spread their false teachers. Well, that may not look very like in our context that is going to look different. 
um, talking to my Sunday school teacher and um, a, a missionary professor he had talking about this verse would be like, you don't let Mormon missionaries stay in your house so they yeah. can continue to preach their false gospel because they're away kind of from their home base. Like you just, you don't do that. That doesn't mean don't bring them in. Don't try to preach the gospel to them, but is what are we doing to further their platform, even to the point of greeting them in public as if they are a brother right. by giving them some sort of credence. That's what the idea of give him any greetings. What's interesting is the Greek word for greeting here is translated and sometimes for peace in the Greek Old Testament and Hebrew. Um, so the Greek New Testament, we're in Greek, of the Hebrew. There, we see this in Isaiah 55, verse 8. It said, peace, the Lord um, unbelievers won't have peace, is the verse there. Again, he uses this word. It's a, it's a greeting of blessing and peace. And so we need to consider how we interact with false teachers. Are we giving them a platform to continue to do it? Because if we do here to take part of is the verbal form of fellowship. We literally have kind of this idea. You have fellowship with his wicked works. You're being part of it. And we know as Christians, we should not be involved in wicked works. We should turn from them. And so I think it's all the more important to understand the importance of truth, the importance of walking in love, and the fact that the false teachers don't have truth, and we shouldn't be helping them in spreading their deceiving lies, because in the end, souls matters, and those who do not abide in the teaching will go to hell. And that is not a fact that we should shy away from. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I look at it like um, I have a friend who is a oneness Pentecostal, and I don't, I don't have a problem getting together if he wanted to get together and go out for lunch and talk about theology with each other because I would want to point him to the truth. However, if I'm having a Bible study at my home and I'm inviting brothers and sisters over and we're going to discuss theology... I'm not inviting that guy over. If he wanted to come over, I'd say no, because I don't want you being able to promote and teach your false teaching or talk to people and put that out there. I wouldn't want to do that. You know what I mean? I would want to guard those people that I am having fellowship with because real fellowship is only with brothers and sisters over truth, truth, you know, over Christ. It's not, it's not over, you know, any thing, any kind of theology. It's over real truth that we find in Christ. All yeah. right. Anything else for that one? Or do you want to go ahead and uh, move on to this last? Oh, man, I got tons of stuff, but we probably should move on. Mm -hmm. I have a whole lesson. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Cause that's the part that you was teaching on, right? Yeah. So to finish out, John goes, though I have much to write to you as much as we have to say about this. I'd rather not use paper and ink and said, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Children of your elect sister greet you. I mean, I think very, he's got some stuff to throw on that one. Simple um, ending. 
And I think the importance here of that of face-to-face conversation to see each other. Paul makes the same remark in Philippians about seeing them and um, making his joy complete, or even just them having the same mind as Christ would make his joy complete. And it's not to say that John is not joyous, but that kind of little extra to kind of top it off, to complete it, to be. I think, and that's just, when we think about that, that's what church should be. I know kind of a lot of churches have gone online. They're doing online things because of the pandemic. And we can just discuss whether that is the right thing or the wrong thing or and try to nuance that out. But there is a sense in which we're called to come together. And that face-to-face communication in real life matters. It's important. And we should take joy and that we can meet with our feather believers and be strengthened in the Lord. And that in doing that, our joy becomes kind of complete, becomes more, becomes perfected. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think John really does a lot with a little in this short, short letter. Um, and he, and he doesn't say, doesn't say, well, I've been writing this next paragraph will be 20 more pages and, and I'll finish out my theological treatise. He, he just, he's done what he's done. He's finished what he needed to say. And he, he's like, I've got more for you, but I can't wait to see you and be close to you. And, and maybe he's got hard things to say, or maybe he just wants to, um, be with his his brothers and i think there's a a lot that we could take from that um to apply to our current context like uh everybody's on on the social media and and it doesn't matter whether you're believer or not believer it's um there's a lot of social media sin um what what tends to happen is that when we're writing our diatribes online or or our our theses in in a facebook comment a lot of times we uh, dehumanize each other because we don't see each other face to face. I mean, even if you're going to write a letter, it's a much easier. A lot of uh, political candidates in uh, early in our country's hi- history would just harangue each other and and stuff, even through letters. So it's not it's limited to social media, but in our context, it is more prevalent there. And I think that if we had more of this attitude, I I don't think you're right here return i've got more to say let's meet face to face you know kind of and then when you meet with that brother not only do you not dehumanize him um but you're also glad like there's a there's um there's this joy that comes from being with a brother even if you wind up disagreeing and a joy that comes through the experience so i think that this kind of an attitude i've got a lot to say to you about this this thing that i perceive that you're saying in this post uh, maybe we should meet face to face and hash it out. Um, I think it would eliminate a lot of uh, sin that way and uh, strengthen our bonds as well. Or just think that the person is human. Yeah, that's a, that's. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's basic. We're just listing a lot of benefits. There is. You can give a hug too. 
Mm-hmm. As long as it's an air hug from never mind. And a, a brotherly kiss. We need to bring that back. I'd be into it as long as everyone was like had an understanding. It's just like one kiss on the cheek, real fast, knock it out, nothing more. Get then don't touch me. Get away. Give me the Rona. You just give me a kiss real quick. Don't don't like don't slobber. Bring back the holy kiss. Hashtag. Hashtag make holy kisses great again. <laughs> just don't just don't hashtag, hashtag G220 with it. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I, I, I think that uh, what you guys are saying, you know, is is uh, right on. I think John really probably has so much. I mean, we're talking about the one disciple whom Jesus loved, the, the disciple who was at the side of Christ for three years, who is an older man now in the faith, uh, much, much older in the faith. And he's got probably a lot to say, so much that you can learn from him. And yet in this short little, there's another thing we could take away, right? You talk about writing on social medias or writing letters. I mean, how could we say something so in depth in such a small little writing, right? So of course he's got so much more he could share with them. But I think that idea of being together with them and just being able to love your brethren, you know, um, there, there's nothing like that. And Mike, you, you said it with the church. I think just, um, just think about it. When we go to church each week, those of us who do are able to gather, I mean, there's nothing like that day of the week. There is no other day like the Lord's day. I mean, you could just be like, it's been a rough week for me, like work-wise. And so you're just wore out, you're here dragging, but you get to church and you're just like, man, the brothers and sisters, and you're, you're able to, to, to meet with each other and to see one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, uh, to uplift one another. I mean, that's just a glimmer of heaven. It's a picture. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that should be our desire to want to be around brothers and sisters. That's what makes this pandemic so hard for for so many people, because even the unbelievers long for that community community. Right. We're community beings. I mean, God created us to be that way, to have fellowships. Because God's that way. Yeah. His image. And. So, yeah, I think there's a part, you know, I mean, think about the Christians in China who risk their lives to go to church, to Mm -hmm. be one another because of the importance of coming together to see each other face to face, to encourage one another and to spur one another on to love and good works and to, to be able to have come together and have one mind, the mind of Christ and to, to think consider others better than ourselves. You know, there is, you know, much that can, John can write. There's much that can be written. I mean, even we just think about this short little line in Ecclesiastes that the writing of books is endless, especially when we consider the depths of scripture as the Christian tradition thinks and molds over and builds upon the rocks that were laid before them. And there is much, and that is 
something we should prize. I think we see, and obviously we've covered this multiple times here on GG20, the, the importance of the local church. But with the advancement of technology, you're seeing people subtly destroy that. I think John's a good reminder that we can talk. There is good benefits coming together and to long to each to see each other. You know, on that note there, as you said that, I wasn't going to go here, but uh, we might as well go there, is this idea that there are, there are some people that may not gather together. Maybe their church is gathering, you know, they're not meeting online, but maybe they're still offering where people can watch it online or they listen to the sermon afterwards or whatever. And maybe they don't go to church because maybe they really do have health issues and they're high risk and there is a fear of getting something and getting sick. Okay. So if, if you're, if, if that's your, your reasoning, um, I'm not going to be the one to judge you in that. However, there are those who are, I think, utilizing this as an excuse because then you, they'll, they'll say, well, I, I can't gather together at church on the Lord's day because there's a possibility I could get COVID, but then you run into them at Walmart or and you're out to eat. And it's like, is that really your, if you're, if you're really that afraid of this, why would you be going to these kind of places? And I think that goes back to this whole abiding in the teachings of Christ, because if you really were abiding in the teachings of Christ, you're going to desire that fellowship. Now there may be some reasons legitimately that keep you from that. And that's why I'm saying, I'm not going to judge your heart and your, your motives and your intentions in that, but only you would know that if, if you are just, have no desire to fellowship, to gather together so that you can, now with this pandemic, it really just gives you another free day to go golfing or do something that you enjoy to do. Again, you need to go back and check your heart in that because you may not uh, be abiding in Christ. You may have never abided in Christ. And so um, that's all I got to say. Do you guys want to wrap it up? Yeah. Any last comments, Nathaniel? Um, no. No, I don't. Mm. Leave it short. Okay. Well, that's been this episode of GG20 Radio. Watch your doctrines and walk in God's commands. Lessons from First John or Second John. Can't even get the right book. Episode number 472. And join us next week as we tentatively plan for Third John, another short book. And for Ricky and Nathaniel, thank you for watching on YouTube, listening there on Podbeam. Have a good week and God bless.